in, in marching band and in concert band, orchestra, we, we called it the first chair. And in my day, I talked, with the, I talked with one of the children about this last night, uh, and it's a little, done a little different now. Um, but in my day, we, we band students, we each were given a short piece of music to play, usually with no time to prepare it. So it's what, is, what we musicians call sight reading. Uh, no time to prepare it, and we'd play it in front of fellow classmates, along with the director, and then we would be assigned where in our instrumental section we would sit. And this would designate which part we'd play. And as a trumpet player of not the greatest skill, um, I never sat the first chair. Uh, I usually sat third or fourth, but never first. And maybe for some of you, it was... Somewhere on the cheerleading squad, head cheerleader, maybe captain of football team or captain of one of one of the squads on the team, president of, of a school club or the student body. But a unique role with unique responsibilities, and and sometimes when fo- when folks fill these unique positions, these positions of significance their changes of status can, over time, have some changes of stature. Um, Sometimes when we begin to feel our significance, we can feel our significance in a way um, that can reveal a whole lot about us. And sometimes these blessings, these blessings can cause us to overshoot the intended purpose of the said blessing. What happens when it's not average, ordinary people like us dealing with all of a sudden this sudden onslaught of responsibility or or platform? What happens when it's someone unexpected? Well, this morning I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, Matthew 16, we are headlong in these kingdom encounters. So Matthew 16, and we're going to start with verse verse 13. Jesus is coming into the district of Caesarea Philippi. And the disciples are with him, and he asks the disciples a question. He said, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And he's referring to himself, but he says, who do people say that the Son of Man is, and what what are people saying? Well, they say there in verse in verse fourteen, they say, "Well, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, and and or one of the other prophets." So the disciples they they give three specific names. They say John the Baptist, Elijah, and Jeremiah. Well, John the Baptist, well. Okay, that's interesting, but if you have been with us, either listening here or listening online, you've got this guy, Herod the Tetrarch, who was the son of Herod the Great, who was the mean, awful, wicked Herod at the time of Jesus' birth. This is 
his son. And Herod the Tetrarch, if you remember, he was in a compromising situation where due to a drunken, lecherous oath made as a result of some fairly creepy, lecherous behavior toward his former niece, now his stepdaughter, because he married his brother's wife. Because of all that, Herod was put into a corner and he had to have John the Baptist beheaded, if you remember that story. And so when Herod hears of Jesus' miracles back in chapter 14, Herod thinks that John the Baptist has returned to life. And he's noticeably (laughs) a little flustered. All right, well, why Elijah? That's the second name. Well, the Israelites, they're familiar with the words of the prophet Malachi. And Malachi is the very last book in the Old Testament. So it's literally just a chapter, just a book back. Okay? But toward the end of Malachi, we see this prophecy that says, Behold, these are the words of the Lord in the, in the book of Malachi, end of the Old Testament. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. That Boy, that's how the Old Testament ended. Aren't we glad that Jesus came at the beginning of the New Testament? Amen. Amen. Absolutely. And here, and here so, so Elijah is on the mind of some of them. Well, then why Jeremiah? Well, Jeremiah, if, if you've spent any time reading the book of Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah is a prophet and he's bringing words of judgment, words of wrath that are coming that, that the Lord's going to bring. But the pictures that he uses have to do with shepherds. You know, we were talking this morning in Sunday school about shepherds and sheep, and um, I couldn't help but think about that when in the children's time we were talking about following children, following those around us like sheep, following, you know, following the crowd. And that's how sheep do, because sheep, uh, we, were, we were reminded again in Sunday school this morning that sheep are not the smartest are not the smartest animals. And how interesting that in the Old Testament, in the prophecies of Isaiah, we are referred to as sheep. But, Jeremiah uses that same imagery. But this is one reason that I believe that some folks used Jeremiah as a comparison to Jesus. Back in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is seeing the people. And he feels compassion for them. Because they were distressed and they were dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Um, And I don't know if Jesus vocalized this in front of other disciples, if he vocalized this in front of anyone else, but, but again, Jeremiah is at the forefront of their minds too. So, and then then one of the prophets, well, Jesus speaks a judgment. And we know that on more than one occasion, Jesus pointed out Jonah's message of judgment to Nineveh. We we hit on that last week. Jesus talked about the sign of Jonah. And, And what happens when Jonah brings this message of judgment to Nineveh way back in the Old Testament, this results in the men of Nineveh, the people of Nineveh, turning from their sin, repenting from their sin. And obviously, Jesus is the fulfillment of all these prophecies 
that point to a, the king who would be on the throne of the new Israel forever. And so people have all this in the back of their heads. And so Jesus is asking the disciples, what are people saying? Who are they saying that I am? Son of man. Well, then he says this. He flips, he flips it and he says in verse 15, he says to the disciples, but who do you say that I am? Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. The teacher asks the student a specific question. You've been in class. Teacher's talking about all these things and pointing at the chalkboard and then the teacher calls you out. During my doctoral defense, uh, around a year ago this time, one of my professors asked me a specific question about something that I had written in my first chapter. And it was regarding a statement that, that I had quoted by another author, and the professor asked me point blank, not about the quote itself, but about how I had used it in, in the context of the point I was trying to make. point I was trying to defend. And it turns out that the author of the quote, the person who wrote the quote, had actually refuted his original statement. He had refuted the quote, which I had quoted, and refuted it, and, and he had done it in one of his later publications. This author had changed his mind in print. And I was not aware of that fact. <laughs> and so I sat there as, as the professor asked me this. I sat there <laughs> speechless. And in my educational life, you know, passed very quickly before my eyes. Uh, yeah. Um, but good news, that bit of information helped to make my thesis stronger. So it was a good thing. Um, but to be called on and <gasps> blind panic. And, 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 and for the disciples, it's time. Maybe it's time for them to put some skin in the game. Who do you say that I am? So Peter, I love Peter, there in verse 16, Simon Peter answers, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We've heard Jesus referred to as the Son of David. Uh, we've heard him be called Lord, be called Master, but not this phrase, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Christ. Christ. And the word Christos means the anointed one. The Christ. The Messiah. The Messiah. Son of God. One born from God. One born of God. One born God. I'm a Routabush. My parents are J.C. and Glenda Routabush. I'm, I'm Jake Routabush. But I, I'm part of my dad's DNA and part of my mom's DNA. But I'm Jake. But I am born of them and I carry their DNA. Jesus. One born from God, one born of God, one born God. Son of the living God. What does that mean? Well, one born. One born with the living. Pulsating. <laughs> Renewing, redeeming, restoring power of God. Wow. 
Amen. This is who Peter says that Jesus is. Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. God the Father, through, through God the Spirit, has revealed this to Simon Peter. Nobody came up to Peter in any one of these kingdom encounters and said, Psst, hey, just so you know. The Father revealed this to Peter through the Spirit. And, 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 and see, Peter's watched. Peter's watched a whole lot during these kingdom encounters. And, and even though he has not caught everything, and, and you know we don't, we have to be told things more than once. <laughs> Peter has too, and, and he's not caught everything, but you know he's caught some things. Did you, did you catch how Jesus referred to Peter? He said, Simon Barjona. Yeah, Simon Son of Jonah. Like, like Jake, son of J.C. Why? Why, why, did, why did Jesus say this? Well, this is Jesus' way of acknowledging Peter's family lineage, just as Peter has acknowledged Jesus' bloodline. Peter has recognized Jesus' father. Jesus in turn recognizes Peter. <laughs> but he also does this to set up this contrast in this next verse. Look there in 18. Jesus says, But I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Peter, Petros in the Greek, rock, it means rock. And as Peter is, 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 he has recognized Jesus for who Jesus is, for who Jesus is, and, and for who Jesus will be. You know, Jesus at this point has not been crucified. He's not gone to the cross. He's not died for our sins. He's not been resurrected. But Peter recognizes Jesus for who he is and who he will be. And Jesus, he tells Peter who he is and who he will be. You get that? Peter, Peter's unique witness, his unique witness, Peter's unique testimony. Um, and we will find out in the coming weeks how unique Peter's testimony is going to become. Which will give hope for us all, you know? And, and Peter's unique testimony, Peter's unique leadership... Peter's life, Peter's very life, will be foundational to the church of Jesus. Jesus will build his church. It's Jesus' church, and, and Jesus is the head. And, and Jesus is pointing toward one, small o, who will give witness, unique witness and testimony, about the one, big O, capital O, on whom the church is built. This is the first time we've seen the word church in the New Testament. So what does Jesus mean by church? Well, I'm going to tell you. Hang with me for a second. There's a word, ecclesia. Hold up. <laughs> Don't leave me yet. It's like Legos. When you put Legos together, pieces together, ek means out of, and kaleo means to call. Hold up. 
This word refers to a people called out from the world and called to God. The body of believers whom God calls out from the world and into His eternal kingdom. The word church means called out from the world and called to God. That's who we are, church. Amen. That's who we are. And, and, and then Jesus says, the gates of hell itself will not overpower the church of Jesus. Hang with me. Jesus says in verse 19, He says this next to Peter. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And there's been a whole lot said about that scripture for 2,000 years. The keys of the kingdom of heaven. This verse is connected not just to the one before it, but two before it. Okay? The claim of Jesus as the Christ the Son of the living God. Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, is the rock, the solid rock, upon whom the church, His church, Jesus' church, is built. The church is built on Jesus. That's what our church is built on. Peter is going to help build it. Peter has a unique commission. Peter has a unique role. Peter will help build it, but it's not built on Peter. You understand that? The church is not built on Peter. It's built on Jesus. Peter is, has, got a, has got a unique role, though. Jesus is the king, and the king is the key to the kingdom of heaven. Peter, Petros, rock, has been given a unique commission to build the church, if Jesus, if Jesus is the band director, <laughs> Peter is sitting first chair in the trumpet section. Okay, It's a central role. Look at verse 19. Jesus says that he will give these keys. Well, what are these keys? What are these keys? Well, well, just before his arrest and crucifixion, Jesus tells the disciples at the Last Supper, he tells them they're all together that he must leave so that the Holy Spirit can arrive. The Holy Spirit is, is the comforter, the, the helper. And the Holy Spirit is in the business of the conviction of sin and the glorification of the Son. Of all the other blessings that are spiritual blessings, the Holy Spirit is in the business of conviction of sin. And He glorifies the Son. And, and once you and I have been convicted of our sin because we're all sinners, how then do we deal with sin? Well, Jesus' death on the cross pays our sin debt. Jesus' death forgives our sin debt. And see, we call that the gospel. We call that the good news. Gospel means good news. And the gospel is how one deals with sin. The confrontation of sin. Conviction of sin, confession of sin, forgiveness of sin, dealing with sin is how one can become part of the kingdom of heaven. And the Holy Spirit and the gospel are both keys to dealing with sin and becoming part of the kingdom of heaven. 
And we will see in Acts 2 that on the day of Pentecost, Peter and the others will be uniquely empowered for gospel witness and gospel proclamation by the Holy Spirit. These are two of the keys to the kingdom of heaven. The Holy Spirit and the gospel. But we're not done yet. When you have a body of people called out from the world and called to God, a body of people who who have had personal sin confronted, convicted, confessed, and forgiven because they've heard the gospel, the only way to deal with sin, you have a body of people filled with the very life of God the Holy Spirit, a down payment of heaven of what's to come. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit. They're protected by the Holy Spirit who are proclaiming the gospel which has saved them from sin and death and hell. (laughs) Amen. The gates of Hades will not overpower it. Amen. Woo! And (laughs) with this same power of God... Holy Spirit supplied, which exists to honor and to give glory only to the Son of God, anything is possible. Anything is possible regardless of expanse as long as it brings honor to the Son, Jesus, who is head of the church. Paul, in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, he gives us this additional picture. Starting with verse 13. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. This is what Paul says. For God rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. Yes, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Aren't we glad that Jesus rose from the dead? Amen. So that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, Paul says, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So Jesus is going to reconcile all things to Himself. And he's able to do this because he's made peace paying our sin debt through the blood of his cross. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. And as God's people, the church, as we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, as we pray these God-sized things, these God-sized things will begin to happen. And Jesus says this using very descriptive language. He says, whatever is bound on earth will also be bound in heaven, and whatever is loosed on earth will also be loosed in heaven. The disciples hear this, Peter hears this, and it's like drinking from a fire, a fire plug. Then Jesus says this in verse 20. 
he warns the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Why? Well, Jesus doesn't want them to say this because it's not yet time. And we're going to see that in just in the next weeks. You're going to see how this, the pace of this begins to pick up. Because the story takes a bit of a turn. Look there in verse 21. From that time, Jesus begins to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Well, you know, (laughs) that's quite a dash of cold water (laughs) on what we've just heard. All these great things about the church and whoo! And then Jesus lays out what's going to happen. And from a from a you know, he gives these four bullet points. These are objectives to really that are going to be accomplished in the next quarter of their business. Okay, this is what's going to happen. Jesus must go to Jerusalem. Jesus will suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. These are Jesus' old enemies, his old nemeses. The elders or the Pharisees or the chief priests or the Sadducees and the scribes. And Jesus will be killed. But Jesus will be raised up on the third day. And he's sharing this. See, there's hope there. In 22, Peter takes Jesus aside and and he begins to rebuke Jesus, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Ah, Peter. Peter, Peter's passionate. You know, maybe maybe like Barney Fife, Peter is a tad highly strung. Maybe Peter is feeling a a tad power mad. Peter takes Jesus aside like one would a child. And he rebukes Jesus. What does rebuke mean? I'll tell you. It's a sharp disapproval of some action. It's a criticism. Peter criticizes Jesus. Maybe feeling a sense of responsibility. Maybe wanting to be a leadership model for the others. Again, because Peter is sitting first chair, Peter verbalizes his disapproval of Jesus' proclamation. And that's fascinating. God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turns to Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. I wasn't always a preacher, and I've been called a lot of things. Satan. 
I can't help but think about a conversation that Jesus had with Satan way back in the very beginning of our kingdom encounters. Do you remember right after Jesus' baptism, Jesus is directed by the Holy Spirit to go to the wilderness, and Satan makes three attempts on Jesus, his calling, his ministry, and Satan tries to get Jesus to change the course of his ministry, tries to tempt him away from the reason that Jesus came, to go to the cross. And Satan tries to get Jesus to think about himself and his own comforts rather than to think about us. And, and, and now Peter, Peter's doing the same thing. You are a stumbling block to me. P- Peter, the rock, has now been referred to as a block which one would trip over. How quickly things change. You're not setting your mind on God's interests. Pete, you're not seeing the big picture, man. You're not seeing it. You're setting your mind on the interests of man. Peter has been given this blessing of the calling to follow Jesus in a unique capacity. And we'll see this as we, as we get to the book of Acts. Peter cannot reconcile what he sees, what he hopes, what he dreams, with what has been the plan for Jesus the entire time. Peter has set his, his mind on the interests of man. I mean, Peter sees a ruler. He sees, he sees himself perhaps as first lieutenant, as, as first chair to this warrior king. But it's hard for Peter to see the reality of why Jesus came. See, God is interested in dwelling with His children. He's interested in dwelling with us. And, and that's always been His plan. That's always been His interest. And Jesus is the one who will make that happen. Jesus is the one. Yes, he provides access to the Father the indwelling of the Holy Spirit for all those who would call on Him for salvation. Jesus provides entry to the kingdom of heaven, but it's only after His own sacrifice for our sin. Our sin. Your sin and my sin. And it's almost like one can hear Jesus say when He's saying this to Peter, not your will, Peter, but what God wills. Not my desire, but God's desire. Not my will, but your will. See, the challenge with sitting first chair is this. Even sitting in that top spot, we tend to forget our place. Peter did, and, and so do we. Man's interests or God's interests? Do we ever think that we know better than God? Maybe God, through His Holy Spirit, is maybe He has something that He's trying to communicate to you or communicate to me or, or to our church 
But, but you and I have to give him that first chair so that he can speak his will and, and his way. You know, Jesus had to wrestle to that conclusion as well that night that he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, not my will, but your will. But Jesus trusted the Father all the way to the cross, dying to pay the price of our sin. And, and because he trusted the Father, we have forgiveness of sins, access to the Father, and access to the kingdom of heaven. If we trust Jesus, if we give Jesus the first chair in our lives, are you willing to give that first chair 